Yes, it's me, Mark Stone, and this is the Backseat Driver Podcast. I'm here with one of my previous guests. It's a while since he was on, but I'm sat here in my garden with the one, the only, Ray, Raymondo Grimes. Ray, welcome back to the Backseat Driver Radio Show. Thanks for keeping it dry for me, mate. (laughs) Now, the one thing I've discovered since you were last on, you're probably one of the most modest men I've met because we came back from a big rallying event and you said, come in for a cup of tea. It's the first time I've been in your house. And I'm greeted by silverware with with prancing horses on them. And you think, aye, aye. He's never told anybody about that. The one thing I've found, I have sat in front of me a racing driver who's modest and that's a rarity these days. Ray, how is the world of racing going? Because up to press, we're not having any racing this year, are we? Or if we are, it's not going to be like we're used to. It's been an absolute killer this year. It's been so I'm so gagging to get back out in a car, it's killing me. <laughs> I feel like I'm so claustrophobic. When I do get on the track, I'm going to be terrible. <laughs> There's only two folk out there will actually agree with that, but say the, uh, the current situation has nothing to do with that. No, <laughs> but... I mean, the one thing is already this year, you've been appointed the uh, BMW 116 Trophy brand ambassador, have you not? And Mark Bate was on the show a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a series for, but it's a budget series with the one series BMWs for new drivers to the sport. And uh, what, what my job is to do is to look after all of the drivers, help them with their experience levels and, and help them become good drivers and, and just nurture them all basically a full grid of drivers so I'm really looking forward to it because that's my forte is helping people with their driver development and I mean the one thing about the 116 trophy is it's like you said it's budget we all know motor racing is a, there's no such thing as cheap motor racing no. but I mean it's a fantastic thing that Mark came up with is to take a 1.6 as Billy Bob basic as you can get one BMW, little BMW hatchback, and turn them into racing cars. And it's a fa- they're fantastic little cars. You just have to fit certain things to it. But everybody can only fit the same roll cage, the same tyres, exhaust. Everything is identical on every car. Mm. And even then, they've turned into really great little racing cars, haven't they? All the drivers that have bought, built cars of their own, they've all been using this... Um this period of time we've had to build new cars for themselves so there's about 30 odd cars that out there now and uh, Mark's passion that's why I've got involved because I love Mark's passion and and we both want new drivers to come and enjoy the sport and it, the trouble is that it's a, it's a very expensive sport and Mark's doing his best to keep it as cheap as possible and to a degree you've even got your you've even got your own 116 that you use for uh, use for teaching as well because the other interesting thing is these cars are actually fully road legal aren't they you can drive it to the circuit race it and drive it home that's provided you don't park it in a barrier yeah the, i mean you, that that was the whole idea of the championship in the first place was that you could actually get a road car turn it into a race car but actually still drive it to the circuit and um, I mean, I'm going to get. I'm just looking at getting mine insured so that I don't have to take it on a trailer to circuits. Yeah. So as brand ambassador, what will we be expected to do apart from do things like this appear on my show and wear <laughs> wear the red and black fleece? Yeah, it's, it's, it, we're going to make sure that the driving standards are really good. Um, I, I am a devil. I am a poacher turned game, gamekeeper. You know, it's my job to make sure that they they respect each other whilst they're racing and they're not trying to knock seven cans of crap out of each other. Um, and if they do, then 
I'll be jumping on them really quickly because I don't want drivers to be going away with big bills at the end of the race. So I, I'll, they'll, all the cars will run video footage, uh, you know, cameras, and then if there's a problem between two drivers, I'll look at the footage and decide whose fault it was. Yeah. Will you, part of it, will you actually be racing? Will you be going out, will you be putting your Nomex and your crash helmet on and going out and doing it? Yeah, there's, there's a 90-minute race at Snetterton next month, and uh, it's a three-driver thing, so... Uh, there's there's a journalist from a magazine come in. There's there's uh, one of the guys that's built the car, and then uh, Mark's had a car built as a press car. So I'm going to be driving a session, a stint for them as well. Right, and you'll be looking forward to that because before we uh, before we started recording, you were saying you haven't raced this year, you haven't even been on the circuit this year. You're getting withdrawals, aren't you? Oh, it's, it's, I can I can see why these these drug addicts are like they are because I'm just so. I'm even sat in cars in garages just making engine sounds on that board. <laughs> <laughs> now, besides the BMWs, I mean, what's happening with the Ferraris? Because you are one of Ferrari's senior instructors and sports car drivers. So what's happening with Ferrari? Which takes us to the complete opposite end of the multi-racing spectrum of the 116 BMWs. I mean, I mean, Ferrari have been on a lockdown as well. So all of the dealerships have shut down throughout the year. Um, so... Everybody in the Ferrari dealerships are wanting to get going. We're wanting to get going. Uh, there's new car launches coming up from September, and we're hoping that everything's allow, allowing us to get back in the cars again because that's what we do. We sit in the cars with, with guests and clients, and we coach race drivers from Ferrari. Uh, I work for Aston Martin in Europe as well. And everything, my, my calendar for this year was fabulous mm. at the start of the year. Then all of a sudden... Because uh, I know you do have a habit yeah. of ringing me up from places like Monza mm. and various other rather pleasant places. I'm sat here in the rain, rainy England and you said, you know, it's glorious here at Monza. I know I brought you up from Monza. It's your favourite circuit. Thanks very much, Raymond. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's been, I mean, with Aston Martin, it's been great because we've done lots of travelling with them. And, and I love the new Aston Martin Vantage. is an immense car. And if I had the money, I'd go and buy one because I love it. Um, and the, the, we've, we've travelled, we, we even worked with Max Verstappen at Nürburgring last year. And it was quite, it was quite an exciting experience because I was ch teaching a guy and Max Verstappen was doing passenger ride laps. Mm. And I noticed on the, on the Grand Prix circuit at Nürburgring, he was actually turning in too early because he thought he was in his F1 car. Mm. He wasn't allowing for body roll of the car, whereas we went in deeper. My, my client actually caught him up <laughs> and I told him to back off because it's not going to look good if you take, if take Max, you know. Um... I mean, when you're teaching somebody to race a Ferrari, these are Ferrari sports cars, not the F1 mm. cars, uh, although you actually do coach two people, a father and son, in Formula One cars, mm. is there any difference between teaching somebody how to race a 116 and how to race a racing Ferrari? A car's just like a human being, it needs to be balanced. The moment you start to turn the steering wheel, you unbalance the car. Mm. So the secret is, is keeping the car as smooth as possible. Everybody thinks that the fastest drivers are the ones that are most aggressive. But if you look at Formula One and look at the multiple world champions, they're always the smoothest drivers. Mm. You never ever see a, an aggressive driver become a multiple world champion. So that's what I teach. I teach the Jackie Stewart, uh, uh, Prost and uh, Jensen Button style driving. That's more or less like fingertip. Oh, you watch sure, Stewart yeah. driver driving a Tyrrell around Monaco or some mm. of the old historic footage. And he hardly looks to be hold of the steering wheel. I, I taught a guy at Monza in the rain once, and he'd, he'd been uh, he'd, he'd been taught by somebody else. And he got in the car, and he was like a, he was like trying to teach Mike Tyson to drive a Ferrari, <laughs> and he was he was kicking the arse of the car, you know. Um, and I just told him to pack all that in, and I showed him. I said, "Look, just drive with two fingers on the steering wheel." And we were going through Curva Grande at 156 miles an hour, and he just didn't believe that he could actually do it. And I said, "Because you're working with the car rather than against the car." Yeah. 
Um, the other thing is, of course, and you've been sending me photographs, you rotten bugger, mm-hmm. uh, of this rather nice Porsche 914 you brought over from the States that will be being raced. I mean, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, what happened was a friend of mine, he, he um, came up with the idea. There was a Porsche 914s were, were known for being rust bo- bo- boxes, you know, and uh, we... Because initially they weren't meant to be a port. They were always known as Volkswagen Porsche. Yeah, but it was actually... supposed to be a Volkswagen sports car. Well, it was actually designed by Dr. Ferdinand Porsche III. He designed the car, um, and then they got together with Volkswagen. And eventually uh, Porsche took it back over from Volkswagen because they got it initially, and then they took it back again. Um, And uh, they did a a 1.8 engine, and they also did the 2-litre engines. And they did a 9144-9146 with the big arches. Um, and what happened was this car came up for sale in America and it was absolutely, the bodywork was beautiful on it. And so we thought, right, let's get it because there's a championship in the historic racing car championships called the Road Sport 70s and this car can race in it. So this car had been racing SCC 8 in America. And so we bought it, came over in January and uh, we've just been working on it since to get it ready for racing for next year. So, I mean, what have you had to do to it? Because I know it took a while for it to get from America to uh, here, didn't it? It took from November to January to get here. I could have swam with it on my back. <laughs> got here quicker. It went to every conceivable country in the world bar. I was, that was, was the last one, you know. Um, but it came over and it had not been loved, basically. The car needs the new bushes, the engine's flat. Uh, just been sat there in a workshop for ages. So it just needs lots of loving. So that's what we're doing at the moment. Yeah. So um, you've also done the bodywork, because one of the things you also do is you own a business that provides graphics for race cars and race transporters. So, uh, I mean, you've kept the graphics period, haven't you? Yeah, it's, it's quite easy to forget what period the car's running in. So the car's a 1975 car, but they actually raced at Le Mans in 1971, and it won its class at, at Le Mans, the 914. Um, so I wanted to keep it very, very retro. In that day and age, they used to just do stripes and things. So. Yeah. I've just buzzed it up a little bit, buffed all the bodywork to make it look beautiful again, and uh, the car's looking really, really pretty. And um, so now we just, it's the engine and the bushes that we need to get done. So it's not ready to roll the wheel yet. It starts, but it's, it feels like a Volkswagen. <laughs> uh, have, you dri- have you driven it? Around the, yeah, around the estate, and it feels really slow. So, <laughs> so the engine's coming out. And one of your other cars, I mean, folk listening will think. How many cars has Ray got? Well, it's a few, but they're all, they're up most of them are races. You're wrong. He drives the most. You would never picture the fact that the racing driver who races all that he does and teaches what he does, he drives a Volkswagen Passat, and there's nothing wrong with them, is there? I absolutely love it. 201,000 miles, and it's still going as, as like a new car. <laughs> but you've also got your uh, your Wolseley Rally car, because yeah. that was quite a famous car in mm. its own day. Yeah, it was a chase car in the 1960s at the uh, the Rally de Alps. So they drove, they rallied from France to Italy and back to France again, and it was actually used as a chase car. And then what happened was it got put in a garage and put away. Then it got sold on, and then the original owner's son bought it back and had it commissioned as a hill climb car. So that car's going to be out. Um, it's it's just waiting for paint at the moment. It's had everything done by the roll cage, um, and that goes out at Shellsley Walsh next year. All right. Right, so you're hill climbing it to the start The car's with. just going to do hill climbing, yeah. Right, so you're not doing rallying with it then? No, just going to do hill climb with that. Yeah. So w- what have you done to that? I mean, how standard is that car? Because back then, mm. it's always been my uh, been my thing that back then a, a, a works rally car was you took the hubcaps off, mm. uh, you put some spotlights on it, you screwed a couple of uh, stopwatches to the dashboard, mm. and that was a works rally car. I mean, what what... 
as this Wolseley got over what a standard car would be? It went uh, when it when it got rebought and was commissioned as a hill climb car. It had all the suspension changed, but not for modern stuff. It was just mod. It was modernised by the guy that designed it. Yeah. And it also had the engine taken out, blueprinted, had a lightweight crank put in it, and stuff like that. So it's actually when you start the car up, it sounds like a race car. All right. So it's actually a really, really cool little car. Yeah. Uh, and the one thing, it's like all classic cars, because you've been sending me images of it being restored. Mm. As you've stripped it back to do oh. little jobs to it, oh. little jobs have become not very little jobs, haven't they? There's, 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 there's more rust on the floor than there was when we started, so I think the car weighed about, about 1,200 kilos when we started. And it weighs about 800 kilos, but it's all new, fresh, fresh. I've never seen so much rust in my life. The, the sills had gone, the A-pillars had gone, on the inside sills had gone, everything had gone. So it's all, there's a guy in North Yorkshire from uh, Track, Track Talk in North Yorkshire at, uh, at Topworth, and they restore cars, and I've got them doing it. And he's, he's an artist, he's a, on the English wheel, he's an immense guy. Yeah. So I've been, I go down there to do a little bit of work on it myself, not much, but he's done all of the fab work. And it, to watch these guys that are artists with, with you know, steel are immense. I mean, in many ways, the, the, those Wolseleys, it was like the Riley equivalent, they are inherently Morris Miners, weren't mm. they? They were like just posh Morris Miners. Well, that, yeah, everybody says that, but when you try to buy a floor pan, you think, I'll buy a Morris Miner, it doesn't fit. Oh, right. A Morris Miner floor pan doesn't fit a Wolseley or a Riley. <laughs> Um, and the Riley, the, the Wolsey was actually designed a 1.5 rule. Uh, well, Wolsey was designed as a ladies' car oh, originally. Right. I mean, technically, the, the Wolsey was the luxury one. Yes, and then the, the Riley, Riley was, was the, the race sporting one. one. Yeah, absolutely, like an RS Escort. Yeah, that was what the uh, the Riley was. And the GLX Escort, the GLX was yeah. the, was the posh one. Yes, the uh, the Mexico was the racing one. Yeah, but the, the great thing about these these people that have these cars. Uh, I joined the Wolseley Owners Club, and there's so many clever, clever people. And when you want to part, you talk to somebody, and they go, oh, go speak to Dave in Aberdeen, he's yeah. got that. You know, and they know it, where everything is. And when they said to me, what colour is your car? I said, it's black and beige. Oh, that was the limited edition one. I'm like, really? It just looks black and beige to me, you know. <laughs> but they, they knew it was a limited edition model, you know. So... Have you been able to drive it, or did you buy it as a non-runner? And at the moment, it's still a non-runner. No, it runs. It's, All right. It, you know, the engine's great on it. It's just that the bodywork just needed doing. And um, I mean, it handles fantastic. It was. I took it down uh, a country lane, and we, we, we'd actually started to strip the car down. So we'd take the bonnet off and we'd take the doors off. And I, I, want, I might do a couple of rallies in it. And my, my friend, who's a navigator, I said, come on, jump in with me. Let's take it down the road, see what it's like. So we've got no doors on the mm. cars, got no bonnet on it. <laughs> we shot off down these country lanes in Cheshire. And uh, it was awesome to drive. And I said, are you OK? He says, I'm frightened, but I know you're going to bring me back in one piece. <laughs> As he's looking at the bushes through the, where there's no door. I mean, like you were saying, you'll have the Wolseley, which will be initially, or in the main, a hill climb car, though they'll do mm. a couple of rallies. You have the Porsche 914 that you'll be competing in various events with. Mm. Your brand ambassador will be racing in the, um, in 116. the 116 Trophy. Uh, Doing Series Elite with the Jaguars. Yeah, I mean, we'll come back to that one. Mm. Uh, there's the Aston Martins and the Ferraris. I mean... How how do you fit it all in, or how do you intend fitting all it all in when we return to normal? And how do you mentally switch from car to car to car to car? Because every one, every car we've talked about, is incredibly different to the other one. 
Yeah, well, the first thing, to, to fit it all in and not upset anybody, you get divorced. <laughs> that's the easiest way of doing it. And then, then the, uh, you don't get any grief from anybody, or you get a girlfriend that's really... I was going to say, we'll, we'll, we'll touch on that one, what's yeah, she yeah. called, Kelly. Kelly. Uh, t- you can tell he's a racing driver, eh? eh? I mean... Ray, Ray here is uh, like me, he's no spring chicken, but mm. it doesn't alter the fact he has a very young, attractive, blonde girlfriend. One of what has been something of a, a stream of these things. He never he never does not have a very nice young lady on his arm, doesn't Raymondo? Uh, I should have kept it up, the racing. <laughs> um, but how do you switch from car to car to car to car? The, 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 it's like when you deal with people, the human beings, they've all got their own personality. And you've got to under, you've got to read the personality really quickly. So say you're going to a, a party and you meet somebody for the first time. As you get older, you you understand how to read them very quickly and what yeah. kind of a personality they've got. And it's exactly the same with a car. You get in it and you can just feel it within within a lap. You can feel yeah. what the car's traits are, and then you just drive to those traits. You know. Yeah. Um, I mean, you, you look at the the Wolseley and. Um, in the great scheme of things, it's no longer a fast car. Mm. And then you go and climb in a top of the top of the range racing spec version of a Ferrari mm. or an Aston Martin. I mean, how do you like switch mentally between what you might call approach speeds? Because approaching a corner in the Wolseley will be quite sedate mm. compared to approaching it in a full blown uh, works for racing Ferrari. <laughs> The, 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 the most worrying thing I've found was when you get into a, like a 1965 FIA versioned Mustang yeah. and you're still going down to a corner like you think you're in the Ferrari and you go for the brake pedal and it's rock hard and it, doesn't, it takes about four years to slow it down and <laughs> then you've just got to start thinking quick how to get out of the problem. <laughs> of all the cars you drive, do you have a favourite? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, the 458 Speciale was my favourite road car. Yeah. The the uh, the, uh, the Aston Martin uh, new Vantage, the new one, it's really great fun to drive. But I'd say if you said to me you can have one car, I'd take the I'd take the 458 Speciale. Yeah. That's my all-time favourite. Yeah. And I've got to ask this: What do Ferrari like to work for? I mean, everybody sees Ferrari in Formula One, mm. and at times they see the typical. Italian, Latino spirit and the yeah, temperament yeah, yeah. and everything else and low-flying tools and all the rest of it. And, but I mean, there's a spirit with Ferrari that I don't think any other no. team or brand of car carries. But what, what are they like to work for? They, they, they are very passionate. They're very, very passionate. Um, we all are, to be quite honest with you. I feel, I feel like I've got Ferrari written through my, <laughs> through my soul, you know. Um, the, the, the bosses are great. The Italians are fantastic. They, they, they're all hands and gesticulation. Well, it's always said if you if you tie an Italian's hands together, you render it oh, speechless. Yeah, don't you? you did <laughs> deaf and dumb mute. So the the no the, the the absolutely they see it as a family situation. When you buy Ferraris, you become part of the family, mm. and this is what they kind of push through that you are now a member of our Ferrari family, yeah. and people love that. They absolutely love it. And as you said, you're absolutely right, Mark. They there's no other brand in motors in both sport or sports cars that's got that where you feel part of the family yeah you go to the dealerships you're treated like a part of the family i mean you not being funny you don't own a ferrari no but do, do you still get that family feeling because yeah. i mean you are you are i know you don't you're not an actual out and out employee mm. of them but you mm. are a freelance you are a, an instructor and a racing driver that they call in mm. do you still get tret as part of the ferrari family when you put the red jacket on with the big prancing horse logo on? oh it? seriously you, the, the you are definitely part of the family um and you you feel proud it's like wearing a, an england shirt in football 
you know, when you put a Ferrari uniform on, yeah. uh, you're at a track or you're going to an event, you feel like you, you're so special. Yeah. And, and it, it's, um, I'd, I'd never want to work for anybody else so much as Ferrari. I mean, I'm so pleased I've done it. And, um, and my bosses are great. They, they're passionate when you do the job right. They're really aggressive when you do it wrong. <laughs> uh, you know. But that's, that's a great thing about them. That's, that's the passion of, of... And they build such a fabulous car. I, don't, I know for sure there's no other car. I've, I've driven other cars uh, for other manufacturers. But Ferrari's cars, every time they bring one out, I think there's no way you can make it better than the last one and they do. And I don't know how they do it. What is it, what is it about them when you're actually out on the circuit in them? What... How do you know, apart from the fact it's got the badge in the middle of the steering wheel, mm. how do you know you're in one? What is it about them that sets them apart? It, the build quality is exceptional. As soon as you sit in the cockpit, the build quality is exceptional. Um, the, the electronics, I love the electronics, because when you change the Manatino button to get the settings for a different circuits and weather conditions, it really, you can tell the difference. There's some manufacturers, I drove from McLaren and, and I found that when you change the settings, you can't really feel it, whereas with a, a Ferrari, I could close my eyes, you could drive me and I could tell you which setting you're in. Yeah. It's that good. Um, but the, the way they balance the chassis, the, the way they make the engine so quicker because the way they design it with different materials um, to make it, it turn over faster and, and get air out of it quicker to make it faster. Yeah. But the brake, the biggest thing is the brakes. The brakes are unbelievable. <laughs> I have never ever known a break where you can st- break so late and it still stops on a sixpence. Yeah. And you think, I did it, we did it in Millbrook on a mile straight once in the rain and with two fingers on the steering wheel I said to this guy, drive it, and he got to 165 mile an hour and I said, just stamp on the brakes as hard as you can. And it just stopped in a straight line and, you know, it was, it was torrential rain. Yeah. And Not th- something you'd normally do at that speed no, in those you, you, conditions I mean you prove that you know if you can do it at 165 mile an hour at 70 or 80 on, on the normal roads in the rain it's, yeah. it's, but I mean I had one guy which was a bit of a shock where uh, we set off and I, said, and I was just pushing him a little bit harder I just wanted to see how late we could break before this big embankment at, at the end and uh, I said I said, when I say brake I'll say brake jump on the brakes as hard as you can and uh, I shouted, "Break!" And he went, "Sorry, what did you say?" And he, st- I was like, "Whoa, break!" Like this. And by the time we'd said it the second time, we were up to 172 miles an yeah. hour. And it, there was this embankment coming up quickly. And fair play, the car stopped. <laughs> <laughs> and to race, I mean, it's like any other car. When you're racing Ferraris, mm. I conclude from what you just said, you have the confidence in them when you're mm. actually out there and doing what's expected of you the car does what's expected of it of it even at the speeds uh that you're doing it at or shall we say constant unending speeds that you're doing it at yeah well the new 488 challenge car it's got two manatino buttons on it to change your settings on it oh so it goes from five to zero so if you get to zero you've got nothing at all yeah so you can actually find a setting that suits every individual driver so you might get a pro am drive pro driver and an am driver pro driver can put his settings in and the young driver can put his settings in by just turning the switch yeah. and the car even in the wet the car just feels so awesome to drive and, and you, you, I've taken guys out that are, are real drivers that have raised supercars and things at 150 yeah. miles an hour and I've taken out in the car at Silverstone and they've said I can't believe how quick that car is and they're, yeah. they're used to speed like that you know so it's, a, it's, an, it's an immense car. I mean, one thing you were talking about, the settings, I mean, it's always been the thing. You watch the television programmes and, right, we're going to test this car and the first thing we do is turn every form of driver aid off. Mm. But when you're racing, 
do you still, to a degree, I know there's the settings, and I conclude it'll be like engine settings and like mm. throttle settings. Mm. Do you still use them? Do you think, well, I've got these, I might as well use them and let the car work with me and me work with the car instead of, shall we say, fighting each other? Yeah, well, if you, if you find a setting that, say, it's bone dry, and then all of a sudden it rains halfway through the race, rather than pulling in and changing the settings on your car, all you do is you just do it on the Manatino. Yeah. So if you want to soften it off, or you want to stop the... The, uh, the power coming in as quickly you want to slow the power coming in or s the traction to make the traction work for you you can do it on the, the Manatino button Yeah. and so you, you, you can get the car to do what you want in any condition you want it to do it in so a lot of this let's turn the driver all the driver's aids off is actually a bit of bunkum at times no you can do it but not with me in the car alright <laughs> <laughs> and moving on to another very highly developed car it's the Project uh, Project yeah. Project 8 Jaguars, I mean, what's happening with those? Because it, it, it started off the other year quite slowly, mm. but was, until the uh, plague hit town, wasn't mm. building momentum? Yeah, what, what was happening was we, um, you know, the car's £150,000 for a, a race-prepared Project 8 Jaguar. The, the car is the fastest car around the Norschleife as a four-door car. It does 200 miles an hour, got great brakes on it. Um, and it handles fantastic. You can really play around. Now, that, that you do turn the traction off. Yeah. And that is real fun to drive. <laughs> Back to old school. Um, but the car's really well built. And the drivers that drive them, they, they, we've, we ra I raced one last year at Silverstone, and, and it was such a joy to race. So what's happened is, because, as you say, it was slowly building up, so what we've done now is got a class within GT Cup. Yeah. So there's five cars out at the first GT Cup race. So I'm going to be a, like a coordinator team manager there. Yeah. Um, so there's, it's... Uh, Unofficially, that's you get to shout at them all. Yeah, I get to <laughs> yeah, shout yeah. at wealthy people, which is great. <laughs> and um, No, but the, the guys are really lovely. They want to learn. They're very intelligent people. The cars are fabulous. And, uh, yes, yeah, so they've got a class within GT Cup. So, yeah. So, it, so they've got other cars to race against as well. Right. And how do you think they will fare? Of course, I mean, in the GT Cup, they're up against some serious machinery, aren't they? Yeah, they, I mean... <laughs> They, they, they've not got the downforce that the GT cars have got, but that makes them more fun to drive. You know, at the end of the day, it's all about driving experience. And if you've got too much downforce, it can be a bit boring. Yeah. So, so in many ways, it'll be their own little race. Yes, exactly. But they'll have one or two others they can yeah. take. If, they, if they're doing all right, yeah. etc. well, I'll have a do at racing him then. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. You, you drive, you take the car up to where you can get it up to. Yeah. Now, one thing I was mentioned early on, you teach a father and son mm. how to drive... I don't know, are they classes historic F1 cars mm. or classic F1 cars? I mean, what are these two Formula 1 cars? Uh, there's a Williams FW07, which is the X... Um, whose car was it now? I, I can't remember whose car it was. There was there's the X Williams FW07, uh, which was a, the, the... It was sponsored by Leyland. Yeah. And, uh, and then there's also the Brabham, uh, which was uh, another F1 car. And then they've also got a, a 2010, the Gulf... Uh, the Lola Gulf, um, what's the uh, what's it called? The Le Mans car. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. So they've got that one as well. So the father won the championship in it last year, um, but the father and son race the. Yeah. The, the, they're actually barons from Belgium. All right. Now, when you're teaching somebody to race a sports car, you're fortunate enough that during the instruction period there's a passenger seat in it mm. and you do what I wouldn't do at all you sit you sit you sit in with somebody in a racing car at racing speeds and you're the passenger mm. and uh, your only level of control is to tell them what to do how do you teach somebody to drive an F1 car because 
it probably won't have gone unnoticed. You can only seat one at a time in an F1 car. Yeah, the, 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 we have this thing called a V-Box system, which is a telemetry system. So we have a video camera built on the car. And then we also have, it's got graph data, sector data. So I can actually put a video footage up of, on the circuit so I can see what the driver's doing in the car. Then I look over to his sectors and I can see where his, his times, where he's losing time. So it might show me that so he's just lost. It, it's a bit mm. like when you watch an F1 team qualifying yeah. and things like that. It mm. cuts to the techs mm. who are sat at computer screens and all these readouts are showing them what the car is doing, the throttle settings, mm. where the driver is braking. Uh, and I conclude you can overlate and say, look, you braked a bit early there, you braked too heavily there. Mm. And you've got to get this into the red, I conclude, for the next time they go out. Yeah, we were. Do they, do they mm. understand what you're oh, saying? Yeah, absolutely, because it's so straightforward. The, the V Box system's fabulous because it's not just graph data, it's a visual video yeah. thing as well. But it's also. So, say you do 10 laps and you've got sec six sectors on the circuit. Yeah. Let's say they've done a 123. But if they'd actually got all the sectors perfect, they'd done 121, so they've lost two seconds somewhere. Yeah. So what Which is a long time in racing. Yeah, so you look down each sector and you might say, well, you've lost a second in that just one sector alone. So what you do is you put the video data up, put the best lap, the best uh, sector they did there against where they got it wrong yeah. on the fastest lap and say, right, if you'd have gone up to the end of that curb there and then braked, whereas when you lost your time, you'd actually braked halfway along the curb. Yeah. So you can actually show them visual information of where they've got it wrong. Right. So when you're looking at like the famous red and white curbs, mm. you can say, well, you, your front wheel clipped that apex at that red block, mm. and it really shouldn't be clipping until that red block. Correct. I mean, I use the car as a ruler. Yeah. So I always say to them, there's the nose, there's the A pillar, and then there's the back of the car. Yeah. So if they're coming to, say, a, a rumble strip on the left-hand side into a right-hand corner, and they try to turn in with the nose, yeah. and then they're, they're pushing out too early, I say, well, right, go up to the A pillar. Yeah. And if they still find it's too early, then go to the back of the car. That's too deep. Yeah. And just say, right, we'll split it between the A pillar and the back of the car. So it's like when it's when it's level with your shoulder, that's yeah, the yeah. apex. Yeah, yeah, and just just use it that way. Right. Do you ever, or have you ever had drivers who want to learn how to race that you've eventually turned around and said, racing isn't for you, sunshine. That's a really funny story, that, because <laughs> I have had that situation, and I won't say which manufacturer it was, but I was approached by my boss once, to, to um, and he said to me, um, I've got this guy here, his father's given me £12 million to use as a racing budget to get him towards Formula One, mm. um, can you go out with him and assess him for me? And so I went out on track with him, I did half an hour and I came which, back. Don't mind me asking, which circuit were we at? Silverson GP. Right. And um, anyway, when we came back, I said, tell his dad to keep the money in his bank account. <laughs> I, said, I said, as long as he's got a hole in his bum, and you know the rest. Yeah, <laughs> he ain't going to race he a car. He ain't going to race a car. <laughs> I mean, what, what is it that makes, what is it that you think makes a racing driver? Because um, it's not just yeah. driving a car fast, is it? It's intelligence and listening. Yeah. And having a feel for the car. And understanding the logic of a car. Yeah. A car's just like a human being. If you walk up to somebody and punch them in the face, there's a negative. Yes. And the negative is you're going to get punched back. I'm going to say there's a rule you get punched back. Yeah. <laughs> if, you do, if you take a car and drive it aggressively, eventually it's going to break traction and throw you into the wall. Yeah. So what you have to do is you have to respect the, the balance of the car to make the car fast. Because if, yeah. if you make it work for you, then it'll go faster. Mm. I mean, I once drove a Porsche 934. Mm. Uh, group B turbo and that car everybody said 
that car has one aim in life. It's called to, to kill, kill you. you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they were, uh, but y- you had to work with it. Mm. It didn't really work with you. You had to modify you to yes, it. Yes, correct. And do you, do, you, do you try and explain this to some people, that there's certain cars out there will work with you, but yes. there's other cars out there that won't work with you. You have to you have to adapt yourself to correct. how it wants to well, be. Well, a, a mid-engine car is more balanced because obviously the weight's even over the chassis. Yeah. If you get something like a Porsche where the engine's hanging over the rear axle, mm. then obviously you've got a pendulum effect going to happen. So what you have to do is when you go into a corner... I was teaching a guy in a Carrera Cup car in Spain at Cartagena and I went out in the car and I was trying to drive it like a Ferrari which was wrong because I kept the weight on the nose too long and, and then the, the back end wanted to come round all the yeah. time. So what you have to do then is is think, well the back end wants to come round because I'm keeping too much weight on the nose. So what I do is, just as I start and lift my foot off the brake to level the chassis out so that the weight sits properly rather yeah. than trying to snap on me. So as you say, you have to change your thought process really quickly. Yeah. Um- I mean, it's like, it's like you said, the Ferraris that you love. I mean, are you still a lover of the old school, really, of a, uh, an engine yeah. up front and that's sending its power to the rear yeah, wheels? Yeah, I've got a guy in a 65 Mustang at each, and that's such an experience because... It's Do you ever find you have to keep saying, look, get out, I'll show you? No, 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 because <laughs> I'm not doing my job right if I have to do that. No, no. I spend less time on the driver's side than I do on the passenger side because I think if I'm not... If he's not understanding it, then I'm not doing something right. Yeah. So, so I try to do my best to, to, to rephrase it in a different way that he'll understand. But when we were in the, the, the 65 Mustang in the rain at Brands the first time I taught him, we're on the Grand Prix circuit and we're going down the straight. And as we're going down the straight, the cars, the back of the car's twisting. Yeah. And I thought, I looked down, I thought my seat's loose. Yeah. Because it was, it was twisting so much, the car, and he's flat out. And I thought, I'm going to, you know, I don't know what's happening. They've not fastened my seating, so I felt the, the nuts on the... Yeah. And, and they were tight. Yeah. So I looked over, and his, his, his steering's going left to right in a straight line. I said, can you keep your steering straight? And he said, I am. Because <laughs> <laughs> they're an old car. And then when you come to brake, it won't stop. And then when he turns and it starts to roll, and then yeah. the back end's coming around. And it was just, but what fun. I yeah. mean, how much fun was that? So I loved it. So I've got quite addicted to the old cars now. Is there a car out there that you haven't driven that you would like to drive? Mm, no, not really. I, 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 I was rather hoping you'd come up with something. No, I've actually, I, no, I was <laughs> going to say a touring car, but I've actually raced, uh, raced a touring car as well. So um, I'd raced an ex-Tom Chilton Folk, uh, Ford Focus. Yeah. So that one, that one, what they did was you, you buy a car that's, brand, uh, that's from, directly from the manufacturer yeah. who's raced it and been successful with it. And then you get some club team that go and change everything on it yeah and when i got in it the steering was so light it was like you was in a citroen yeah. with your boot full <laughs> and uh, i was going through craner curves and, and it was so light i actually spun going yeah. down craner curves and i said the steering's too light the, the, it's really not recommended in spinning at craner is it it's not a bit really, of a dangerous no. bit. it was quite spooky really yeah and then um, but it was it was so light because you need some weight in your steering so you can feel what the front end's doing yeah and so I got them to, to change the pitch of the car to put a bit more weight on, and I I, I, lo- I gained four seconds just doing that alone. Yeah. And it was just by it was so bad. But why why would a team take a successful championship winning car and alter it? Well, you see all these guys in in motorbikes, don't you? That go and buy a Honda or a Kawasaki or something that that they've spent millions of pounds on developing. Yeah. And then they take it into the garage, which has cost them about five hundred quid from B and Q, and they decide <laughs> to change everything. <laughs> 
when you, that, I conclude that's one of the things. I mean, when you race, the one thing is you you, you, set, you have your car set up to how you like it. Mm. I conclude that's part of what you do as instructing is tell people is work out how they will probably want a car set up, mm. get them to a point where they can tell mm. the team how they want it set up. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's got to be quite a lengthy process because you're getting into like the fight into the dark arts in many ways now. Right? Yeah, with, with with instructing, it's not just about teaching them to drive the car. It's teaching them the the dynamics of the car, as you're saying. It's teaching them the psychology of driving a car, and it's also teaching the hydration and the, the keeping themselves fit for the car as well. Yeah. So there's there's all different aspects of learning to become a racing driver. With what you're saying is absolutely right, with the dynamics of the car and teaching them how to feel it, what I do is I tend to, because you've got adjustable dampers on the car, yeah. so I go the extreme, so I'll go, we'll make it full stiff on the front, mm. soft as hell on the back, go out, drive it, feel what it's like, tell me what you feel, then I change it to the opposite way, Yeah. and I get them to do the so same thing. So basically this, you, you, you give them complete opposite ends yes. of the spectrum and then shall we say ease both ends yes. into where it meets where they want it yeah, to yeah and i say what did you like and what didn't you like so they tell you so then you start to work towards that until they feel comfortable because if they're confident they're fast yeah if you give them a car that's i mean i, I had a situation because I, i'm experienced where i went with a team once and i tested the car and i went out and i said the car feels great and he said well you're off yeah you're a second off the pace hmm. So they changed the car, they sent me back out again. I came in, my eyes were like saucers. I said, yeah. that car nearly killed me. They said, well, it's, it's half a second quicker than the lap record, so you better get used to it. <laughs> so, uh, you know, so you, you have to do what the stopwatch tells you. Yeah. I mean, how do you actually do that then? How do you modify yourself to that car if you suddenly discover you're driving a car that you, <laughs> you don't like as such? Well, they, they say to you, it's, it's, it's fast, so you've got to, because it's just, it's fast. Yeah. But it's edgy, so you've got to preempt that it's going to try and kill you. So yeah. you preempt the killing, killing zone and then you, you cater to it. Now, as we were saying, 2020 is, in my opinion, as regards international motorsport, it's dead. Mm. I don't know about you, but I think they should give Formula One a miss this year. The, in two races mm. at Silverstone and a couple in Austria, it, it's a farce. It's it's a total farce. The, the, what, it's all about money. Uh, it's nothing to do with spectators. It's, it's it's all the viewing figures for the American TV company. Um, so they, they want people to buy Sky and all yeah. that kind of stuff to get this. And they want the revenue from the teams because they have to pay x million pound a year to go and race the cars yeah so so that's what it's all about it's nothing to do with the logic of it it's mm. all about making money yeah but are you in agreement with me that really totally. f1 f1 should be call it to do this year i'm sorry folks but that's it well they're changing the rules for the cars for two, uh, two, 2021 mm. um and it's a lot better so the cars are going to be a lot closer i mean when the slipstreaming uh, at the moment, uh, they take 50% of the downforce away from the, the car they're following. Yeah. That, that's, that's, that you're catching, you can't, you can't get near it because you've lost 50% of your downforce. Yeah. The cars <clears> next <throat> year, you'll only lose 10% of your downforce. All right. So it's actually going to be a lot closer. Um, the cars have been designed so they can actually race each other. So what I'd say is to the teams, right, forget this year. Just go and spend the rest of the, rest of the year developing your 2021 car. Yeah. Because, I mean, in F1, there's this perverse slipstreaming thing where mm. once you get within is it 10 seconds mm. or 5 seconds of the car in front mm. all of a sudden you're allowed to give yourself this 15 
20 kilometre speed advantage mm. over the, which I've, I, in my opinion is farcical mm -hmm. because as soon as you've gone round if mm. the straight was long enough the car that's just been seriously disadvantaged mm. then goes back into advantage yeah, yeah, mode absolutely. and they could keep hopping round one another you just spend all the year doing that yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, it's the, I mean Indy cars have got it sorted in America because they, they've designed so they can overtake yeah uh, they've all got basically the same design rear wing and things like that which they're doing 2021 with F1 yeah so what well, it'll be a lot better in the racing next year and you're going to see some real hot shoes that are racing in smaller teams taking on the big boys next year so the racing's going to be a lot which more is what we want to see I yeah mean, absolutely F1 if you're not careful it's just Mercedes Red Bull mm. And occasionally Ferrari, mm. and all the rest are just like one's better to do, making up the numbers. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, it's, I've always said if, we, if we're only going there to make up the numbers, we're not going racing. Yeah. You know, if we either go to compete or we don't bother. Yeah. And it's like you say, you're absolutely right. I think next year is going to be fabulous. The, the rules changes next year are just immense. Right. So, all being well, we should get some joy back out of F1 because. I've, to be quite honest, I've lost a lot of interest in it. Mm. I love watching the touring cars. Mm. We have a mutual friend, Andy Harrison. Mm. We love watching the minis. Minis, yeah. Um, and some of like the lesser formulas, the uh, like, it's like some of the, like the, the small single seater stuff. Mm. I mean, that's the one thing these lads driving some of these cars. It's like the Janetta Juniors. Oh. I think they are absolutely awesome. Um, but the one thing about it is that's proper racing. Mm. They're out there. They're racing. They're giving it some. That's what Formula One has lacked for so long. Well, I'm I'm helping a friend of mine with his two little boys. He's eight years old, and one's eight and one's eleven, and they're racing carts in the Danny Ricardo series. The eleven-year-old yeah. is, and it's fantastic. They, they, to watch these little kids, they, they've got they're so immense at driving, you know. But but the unfortunate thing about karting is. The majority of the fathers that take the kids karting think they're all going to be Lewis Hamilton's, and they're not. Um, so I've told my guys, said, just go and enjoy the experience so you've got something to talk about when they're, when they're grown up and they've got their yeah. kids. Don't go there thinking, I said, your kids are skillful, but you haven't got the money to take them where you need to take them. Yeah. You know, Lewis Hamilton had Ron Dennis backing everything from yeah. karting, so, so that's one in a million. So they, I said, just go and enjoy the experience. Yeah. Don't go trying to think he's going to be a racing driver because they're not. Have you thought of introducing to the guy that had 12 million quid to teach the uh, to teach his son who really wasn't going to make it? <laughs> I, I taught one young lad once, and he, his father had decided he was going to be a racing driver, and his dad lived in Switzerland, so he bought a quarter of a million pound motorhome. Mm. He, had, he had a person just to look after his son, and all he did was drive him from circuit to circuit to test, and then he just hired a personal tutor. To, to, to teach him all the rudiments of mathematics and school. Things. So his school was in the motorhome. School was in the motorhome, and that was it. So he just drove from. So he probably tested three times a week, every week. You know, that's that's because his dad had that much money. Yeah. He just paid for all of that. You know. Did he ever make a racing driver? He's a he's, he's very fast, but he's erratic. I sat in with him once, and he was uh, very wild, but yeah. but but a good driver. Yeah. But you know, but emotionally, he's not got it. He needs Raymond or to knock the sharp edges off. Well, it? yeah, but he's, I think he's, he was—he was like a James Hunt character. Yeah, um, trouble with Hunt had a bit of skill, really. Yeah, he was at fourteen. <laughs> he was a James Hunt character, you know. So, <laughs> it took him forty God, odd years to get to yeah, be God James help him. <laughs> God help him. By the time he's eighteen, he'll be wrecked. <laughs> Ray Barimes, it's always a pleasure having you on the show. Thanks very much for taking the time. Ray's driven all the way up from Cheshire this afternoon to come and sit in my garden to do this interview. It's nice to have him back. I haven't seen him for ages because of the plague and everything else. And for chance anybody doesn't know, Ray has actually had the plague and uh, 
nearly wasn't here. But yeah, it's very close. But knowing Ray, Ray never gives up. No, well, I just decided that chinks aren't going to do me. Hey, and, and knowing you, you had another nice blonde girlfriend lined up, eh? No. S- smooth. So, I'll tell you what, was it? Loads of style and loads of action. Ray Mondo Grimes <laughs> is the main attraction. Ray, it's been a pleasure having you back on the Backseat Driver Radio Show. Once again, thanks very much indeed, young man. No problem, mate.